0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast.
1: You're listening to episode 438, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Friend of the show, Drew Bragg, and host of Code and the Coding Coders Who Code It is back today. How are you doing, Drew?
0: I'm great, Brittany. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty well. You just got back from a trip, didn't you?
0: I did. My company within three just had an on-site for our product development team. So I got to go out to Ohio, check out our new office, Hang out with some people in person that I usually only see over tuple. And it was awesome.
1: Oh, wow. So within threes, committing back to having a physical office, are you planning on routinely visiting there?
0: I would like to go out with some frequent cadence just because it is fun to get to work side by side with people. We have an office space mostly so that those who are in the Ohio area can use it. Definitely, we're still remote first, we're still hiring people remotely it's just we have a physical office for those who want to use it rather than forcing the people into a co-working space
1: okay that makes sense do you have a highlight from the trip any fun activity that you especially enjoyed
0: well i mean yeah we did top golf yes (laughs) and i have never done any golf of any variety if it was not prepended with the word mini So it was an adventure. I learned very quickly that I'm terrible at golf. And I also learned very quickly that the more I try to play golf, the worse I am. But the more I treat it like hockey and just smack the crap out of the ball like it's a hockey puck, I actually did pretty well. So
1: So, it was a lot of fun. You and I, we're the same person because this tends to be my problem as well. Like I will try to go into something like this with a lot of technique. Good example is axe throwing. I'm absolutely terrible at axe throwing. But I only get good at it if I try to muscle my way through something, and you know what? That's not going to unlock the secret to being great at that activity by trying to be as aggressive as possible. But that is absolutely what I did with top golf.
0: Yeah, I mean, it worked out pretty well. Every time I was like, huh, "Let me try an actual golf swing," it was like, "Well, that was horrible." But every time I was like, "I'm just going to like slap shot the ball down the course," I actually scored some points. So
1: oh, amazing! Well. This episode is probably going to be named this: the Rails SaaS Conference hype train. Because you and I head to LA next week, and Drew, remind me: were you always on planning on coming, or are you a late addition?
0: Andrew kind of spilled the beans a little bit at I guess it was RailsConf in Portland. He spilled the beans a little bit, and he got me so hyped for it that the moment he dropped tickets, I bought a ticket. I think I bought a ticket like four hours after it opened because wanted to run it by my girlfriend, make sure it was cool that I went or that she didn't also want to attend because it sounded so fun. But yeah, I was pretty fast on purchasing a ticket.
1: Amazing. Yeah, I was also very fast on purchasing a ticket. And then it was a late change that I'm going to be working as the field producer for it, which I'm so excited about interviewing all of the guests and the sponsors. I mean, just what Andrew's putting together is really exciting. Have you been to Los Angeles before? Because I have not.
0: I have not. I've been to California once for a different work trip. I don't remember where in California. We were right next to the beach. It was beautiful. That's all I remember. Yeah, I'm really excited. Hollywood, being able to see the Hollywood sign, the hotel looks amazing. He has an incredible speaker lineup and especially what got me like to go from, hey, I'm pretty excited for this to, Oh my gosh, I am so excited for this was the vendor expo hall not being an expo hall and being the rooftop pool with the cabanas it just looks amazing
1: i completely agree with you i'm curious aside from the cabana which is a perfectly valid reason do you have like a why for why you're attending it because this has been something that i've been mulling over i see so many people out there who are spinning up ruby on rails applications and starting their own businesses and i'm beginning to wonder do I really need to start sitting down and thinking to myself, can I do this? And I'm like kind of going to this conference now helping with it, but kind of going into this conference, like really looking to be inspired by someone and saying like, hey, they did it. Maybe I can do it, too.
0: That is not what I'm going for. I am going for I don't know, I guess I going for a lot of different reasons, all internal, really, but it's for the community to see where it's going. Andrew's trying to make it a hype thing, right? To get people Mm -hmm. to want to use Rails. And I want to be there to see it. And I want to be there to see if there's some way I can help either guide it or contribute to Rails being, I don't want to say popular, because I think to a degree popular has a bit of a negative connotation because then Mm -hmm. it's an influx of quantity over quality of people. But we're trying to make it popular again. I'd love to be there to see how I can help make it that way and also make sure that we don't lose the amazing community that we have at the same time. So it's a little bit of that. And it's a little bit of, Hey, I can go be around friends who do rails and be at this really cool vacation spot. So a little bit of selfish vacation time, a little bit of just the desire to help grow this community as huge as possible and see if there's any way I can help that happen.
1: I agree with you. I will say on the vacation front, I am going on a horseback ride the first day I get there because I want to do something that's picturesque. Right. (laughs) So I am being a little bit selfish, but and I'm really excited about the venue, too. I'm just curious as someone who's so active in the community, I often get the question, even just our own application at work. Why is this written in Ruby? Why is this written in Rails? Was this really the right decision? And so I'm looking to go somewhere where I'm surrounded by people who say, duh, of course we went with Ruby on Rails.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a lot of frameworks out there that are open source and you can contribute to, but I think it's always been Rails' superpower to a degree that it was open source. If you needed Rails to be able to do something, you could not just extend it on your local application, but you could open a pull request and say, hey, I need this thing in almost every app I build. Maybe everyone else does too. Here, I opened a pull request so everyone has access to it. So I think the other really cool thing is there's going to be a fair amount of people there that maybe aren't the most technical. Maybe they're a technical founder, but they're not the number one code writing person. Being able to talk to them and see what they need that either Rails falls slightly short on or could be improved would be a great way to find open source opportunities. Because I'm a little stuck at work. We're on an older version of Rails. I'm working on a singular app instead of multiple. But I still love the idea of contributing to open source, especially Rails. So going to something like this will give me the opportunity to chat with people who might not be able to add that functionality themselves. And then I can kind of run with their ideas and maybe open a PR or hand it off to someone who's looking to open their first PR.
1: Yeah, I really want to dig into all of these open source projects or paid projects that are those starter kits. I don't know very much about them at all. I know that Jumpstart Pro's out there. I know Bullet Train's out there. There's definitely other ones. And I'm very interested in that ecosystem because if we can get people to use those and get started on Ruby on Rails, I think that's going to be the future and getting more of these businesses to start using it. And so I'm interested to see the people who speak at Rails SaaS about getting started on those kinds of things in order to grow out. Yeah. I think
0: there's going to be a lot of really interesting ideas getting floated around being discussed. And that's, I think I've said it before where that's my favorite part of any conference, right? Is Mm -hmm. not just the talks, not just going and talking to vendors or sponsors or hearing so-and-so speak on X topic, but you end up having these conversations, even just sitting at a table, having lunch or just chilling in the expo hall with people that you may not have normally spoken to otherwise. And all of a sudden you go down this rabbit hole of this idea that they had and now you're contributing or vice versa. And there's been some really excellent ideas that I personally have had like come out of those conversations, but also the motivation I get to like, go back and build things is always so awesome.
1: Totally agreed. And I'm curious, Drew, if, you know, you're talking to a fellow developer, you don't know what language or framework that they use, and they were to ask you what kind of developer you are, what do you answer? Do you say I'm a Ruby developer? Do you say you're a Rails developer? Do you say I'm a Ruby on Rails developer? Or do you just say I'm a developer?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's a little bit of a context-based answer, depending on who I'm talking to, what we've been talking about. But I think for the most part, I'd say I'm a Ruby engineer because I think I would continue. At least my mindset there is if Rails was to disappear tomorrow, I would still write Ruby. So I definitely am a Ruby engineer, or at least from that point. I do say anybody who asks, I'm like, yeah, I'm a Ruby engineer. I work with Rails predominantly. But yeah, that's, I guess, how I would answer that.
1: See, you just changed my answer because I would have answered, I would have answered Ruby on Rails Engineer just because when I went through the boot camp and whether or not this is good or bad, I was taught Rails first and then taught to mm. appreciate Ruby later. And so I've mm. always felt very close to Rails. and so I probably would have answered Rails Engineer. But you're right. If Rails were to go away tomorrow, I still love Ruby and I would still find a way to be able to continue to write Ruby. So that's completely fair. And so listeners, I challenge you, like, what would you have answered if someone asked you that?
0: Yeah, but you also brought up a good point right there. You asked me a question and I gave an answer that I just thought was my genuine answer. And I ended up influencing yours unprompted right that wasn't the intention you didn't ask me that question in order to change or formulate your own opinion and i feel like that's what happens at conferences and i'm hoping happens at rails SAS, where it's these you end up having these conversations and you totally don't mean it to but it helps you formulate better opinions challenge your own opinions and just have more information to draw your conclusions on
1: You're right. I love having that feeling of going in and being so confident in my opinion on something and then to have it completely challenged just by learning new facts or someone else's experience that they've shared. I think that really is the true gold of conferences. This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. Did you know that Honey Badger status pages now come with incident management? As an engineering manager on a team who recently implemented an incident management process, I was super excited to hear this. Build confidence with a public status page that shows your live service status and incident history. The ability to bring your own domain is key here. Transparency inspires trust. When your next outage happens, communication is going to be key. Alert your users of issues early and keep them updated as each incident unfolds with incident management. Plus, if you have scheduled maintenance, you can keep your users informed as your team works through the window. Head on over to honeybadger.io to learn more. Speaking of conferences, I'm very lucky, Drew, because I get to see you in a week. And then I also get to see you at RubyConf Mini because you were going to be speaking. Can you tell me all about that?
0: Yeah, uh, it'll be my first time speaking at RubyConf. So any Ruby Central organized conference. I am cheating a little bit. It is the same basic idea of a talk that I gave at Sin City Ruby. So you should be very familiar with it. I did... Add some extra content, tweak some of the slides, adjust some things. So there is new stuff. If anybody's listening like, oh, I don't have to go to Drew's talk anymore because he already gave it, we'll have new stuff in it. You will be surprised and will be challenged with the questions. But it's the same basic idea of that game show, that fun, beat environment for a talk and then just looking at some kind of obscure, weirder, lesser known Ruby syntax.
1: So, the two important things that I've taken away from that is A, I cannot start a business where I sell the cheat sheet to the answers from Sin City Ruby. So, noted, you just ruined all my profitability. So, thanks for that, Drew. Second, are you going to wear the blazer from last time? Because I think that's key.
0: So, yeah, first, number one, that is always the plan is to make sure that I love some of the questions and the faces I get from most people when I reveal what the answer is and why it works the way it does under the hood, that they'll probably always be in there. And I'm just going to hope and pray that I don't do it so many times that people just get it, but I will always try to add new weird syntax in there to keep it fresh. And then number two, of course I'm going to wear the blazer. I have to wear the blazer. I bought it specifically for Sin City Ruby, it's definitely going to get brought out again for RubyConf.
1: Amazing. And now, have you thought after you do the RubyConf mini presentation, have you thought about just starting to tweet out some of the questions and see how the community does with a Twitter poll? Just because some of the questions are just absolute gold that like need to be seen by more people.
0: Yeah, I probably wouldn't do that because there's already a Twitter account called Ruby Cards that does a yeah. fantastic job at doing exactly what you just described. In fact, I reached out to the guy who runs the account and asked his permission to kind of steal some of them because they were so good. They were so wildly obscure and so many people got them wrong that I was like, this has to go in. So if you're looking for that kind of content, I would follow Ruby cards on Twitter.
1: Well, I thought it was really cool when you did the presentation at Sin City is that a lot of your questions came from your own code base, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. We have a pretty old code base at work. And when I got there, it had been kind of stuck on some very old versions of Ruby and Rails. We're still on older versions, but we were much older and there were parts of the code base that hadn't been touched in over a decade, and I found some very interesting Ruby syntax in those files and was able to, yeah, make a lot of slides out of the chaos I found in there.
1: Okay. Well, you hinted around about this earlier on, but I know that from my Twitter stalking that you are currently working on upgrading within three from what five one to so five two.
0: Yeah, we're currently on five one. We have a pretty solid. Roadmap plan. I think we've identified all of our deprecation warnings, anything that needs to change to be compatible. It's just actually physically doing the work. That's mm-hmm. kind of the blocker at the moment. Just because up until this point, I had been doing the upgrade by myself. Another engineer on the team is now helping with the upgrade, but we're both so busy doing a lot of the other things. We're doing a lot of great stuff, which is awesome, but it does take away from doing the upgrade. How
1: so, picks the engineering bit. team?
0: Oh, so we were all just in person. I should know this off the top of my head. I think we're a little over 20 engineers at this point. Okay,
1: Gotcha. So if you're trying to upgrade, you're essentially trying to open up a branch for the upgrade and you're trying to keep up with all the features that are being shipped by the rest of the engineers, right?
0: Not so much. We are dual booting. We're using Shopify's boot boot setup so that we can bounce into the next version of Rails runtime. and. We have basically just conditional logic anywhere where something is incompatible. We just say, hey, if we're on the next version of Rails, do it this way. Otherwise, we can keep doing it the old way. So it's not a long-running branch. I've done long-running branch upgrades in the past, and they are a nightmare on, I think, any size team, really. But pretty much anything over three developers, a long-running branch is pain. And especially at the number we're at now, there's no way I'd be able to keep up. So, but it's just slow going, especially right now, we're doing a really big redesign project at work and I am spearheading our move to view components. So I'm very busy building components, reviewing others' components, trying to help build out kind of an atomic design or atomic components and make sure that our components are a blast to work with. So I haven't been doing a ton of upgrade stuff and that's what we're kind of stuck as There's the plan. We know what we need to do. It's just physically finding the time to do all of that work.
1: Okay, so you're going to have to remind me because I have not implemented view Components yet, but there are so many podcasts and blogs out there (laughs) like they they truly feel like they're the wave of the future and I'm bought in. I get it. They sound great. Is it difficult at all that you're trying to implement view Components in Rails 5.1 or does that come for free with any of the versions? Talk to me about that.
0: Yeah, actually, Joel and the team behind view components did a great job making sure that older versions of Rails could use view components by having a monkey patch built in for action view so that everything just works seamlessly. You do get it a little bit more for quote unquote free. No monkey patch involved in, I think it's Rails 6.0 or newer, where something changed in how we either call render or render in on an object to... its template. And so newer versions of Rails will have it more for free. It's still a standalone gem. There was a period of time where I think it was almost merged into Rails main as a pull request. And then it wasn't. Some of the ideas were taken from it to improve action view. And then it became its own standalone thing.
1: Oh, interesting. I wonder if we'll see a world where it actually does get merged into main just because... It just all based off the hype and the people that are talking about it, it just seems like everybody's turning towards it. But, you yeah. know, that's just the people who are talking and they're excited about it. We don't know how many people have just said, this isn't for me. And there's probably a fair bit of those right. as well. In a world where Hotwire got merged into Maine, I could see right. a world where View component gets merged into Maine.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't be opposed to it. I don't necessarily see it happening. I think that some of the points that were made to not merge it in were to a degree valid. I definitely think that the front end, the view organization in Rails could use some help and love. And View Component definitely would have helped with that. But I think the nice thing about keeping it outside of Rails while still feeling very Rails, because that the GitHub team does a wonderful job making it feel like you're still in Rails is that you're not forced to only use View Component. You could use something like Joel Drapper's working on Flex, mm-hmm. which is a very similar system for building out components in raw Ruby that get compiled out to HTML. So like if you wanted to go that route instead, you could very easily use that gem instead of using the view component gem or maybe a mix of the two. And I think that is a good thing unless there becomes a very strong reason that view component should be the way to do it. I think having the option is just gonna make all the gems involved in that system better.
1: Totally agreed. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code, and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14 day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash ruby on rails. So you're changing to view component at Within3. Mm-hmm. What's your personal and Within3's stance on JavaScript? What's your preference?
0: I try to be good enough with JavaScript that I can write as little of it as possible. Wonderful. Is how I approach JavaScript. I've done React. Pretty heavily in the past, I did a lot of Vue. If I had to go with an SPA solution, I'd go with Vue. That's personal preference. But I have really enjoyed server rendering my stuff, server rendering HTML and sending it over the wire when appropriate. And I think Stimulus or something like Alpine JS serve a really good... JavaScript sprinkles kind of approach to JavaScript, where the JavaScript kind of just gets attached to the HTML rather than being responsible for rendering the DOM. My preference is stimulus, and that is what we're going with. At within three. So we're using view components and we have stimulus controllers to attach JavaScript behavior to them.
1: Oh, so this is a major rewrite then for you because I mean, it I, is. that's huge. Okay. So how are you managing all of that? Is the majority of the team working on it or is it another yeah. small like, okay, gotcha.
0: <laughs> no, it's everybody. It started off as a small team to get a baseline of like, we don't use a CSS framework. So we do all our own in-house CSS. So a lot of that got started by a small team, but then as other teams wrapped up their individual roadmap projects, they all moved on to the redesign, which is a bit of a double-edged sword. It's nice that we have, because we have a, a large app, having people be able to go off into this corner and do the redesign over here. And that corner is this team. And That is a little nice to be able to spread the work around, but also that comes with trade-offs. There's some stepping on toes. We end up with a little bit of duplication on things. So that's sort of what keeps me really busy is the more senior engineers on the team do a lot of PR review to try and help mitigate some of that. Hey, we already implemented that over here, or this really needs to be more generic so that it can be used in multiple places. or. Hey, these styles already exist. So,
1: okay, so I'm curious how you feel about having a custom CSS setup because at Textus we use Material UI and mm-hmm. we've recently hired a senior UX designer and you know I had my first one-on-one with her and she's like, "Hey, If I ever come up with a use case for doing something out of material, are you open to that? And I'll be honest with you, the answer was no, So, which makes me sound so evil, but like truly one of our strong suits is that we use material. It just is very responsive. It tends to have everything that we need. I almost challenged her to come up with a reason for why we would go outside of material. Like what component could you possibly come up with that we couldn't do in material? And so she's currently with that challenge. But I'm curious, like, how did custom CSS happen for you? Do you have a designer on staff? What's that story?
0: Yeah, so first off, I agree with you. I really like material design. I think it's pretty easy to work with from a developer standpoint who is not a designer. I think the design concepts in material design are really easy to follow and make sense of. So I do appreciate it for that. We do have a UI UX team. We have a couple of people on the team. I work pretty closely with one of them. Rachel is awesome. She's really smart. They do a lot of like user research and making sure that the designs that we have make sense and that is intuitive and people know where to click. We we're just looking at heat maps of where people click to do certain things so that they could find like, oh, this button's in the wrong place because here's the three places they click before finding the button or... We need to do this or make it more evident that this is something we want them to interact with, which is kind of awesome. It's way over my head. So, because we have that, we have a very completely custom design. So, it's not based on material design, it's not based on what Bootstrap gives us. It's not even like a tailwindy feel, it's completely custom. So, the team that was in charge of Deciding how to implement the designs that the team had come up with, decided that there wasn't a framework, either component framework or utility framework out there already that gave us what we needed. So we decided to write it from scratch.
1: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I do want to say the fact that you would describe something as tailwindy and I knew exactly what you meant is really hysterical <laughs> because yeah. that is a thing. <laughs> But yeah, it's good to know the origins of why the system is a certain way, especially when you're onboarding new people, because any sort of legacy app that you're getting into, you like to have that history. And I think a lot of people come in, especially new designers, they want to put their own stamp on something. They get sold the idea that they, you, know, you can create your own custom component library. And sometimes that makes total sense and sometimes it doesn't. And so it's good to know what you're working with.
0: I agree. It- Always good to know a why, even if you disagree with what is said, just having some semblance of like, there is a reason why I'm doing this task, at least for me, almost like sets my mind at ease. Like I can literally be like, I disagree with what I'm about to do, but at least I know why I'm about to do it. If it's like, hey, why is this designed this way? And everyone's like, I don't know. I can't do it then. I can't do it. But if they go, we just want to try it, that is legitimately better than... I don't know. I need some form of answer.
1: So I have a question for you. I had one of my developers ask me this the other day, and I've been kind of mulling it over. They asked me, what kind of level of quality are we trying to hit here? Which is such a wide answer to ask me, but I get why they're asking, because there's times where you're working on a really big feature and you have the allowance to be able to do a refactoring, or there's times where you need to get a hot fix out. So like, how do you approach quality in general drew when you're reviewing these pull requests
0: well i'm going to go with the default senior answer and i'm going to say it depends
1: yeah yeah it sure does yeah,
0: doesn't it? it really does i mean there are so many factors that go into that i feel like we could talk for another hour on the factors that go into that especially on a large team where you have varying degrees of technical competency you have varying degrees of experience skills areas of focus. We don't have anyone on the team that is a front end engineer, but we have Mm. some folks that are more comfortable on the front end than they are the back end. And yeah, we're on this redesign project, which gives us a little bit of an affordance to say it doesn't have to be perfect out of the gate because we can come back and spruce it up before launch. It's all behind a feature flag, but I don't Love the idea of just saying, ah, eh, good enough. We'll refactor it later, knowing that there's a better approach. Now, to be fair, there are times where it's like, hey, I think there might be a better approach. I think we're seeing a missing abstraction or a missing collection of objects or something to that effect, but it's too early to be sure. So sometimes things will go in and they feel a little off. They feel very duplicated. Okay. It's not very dry. But I think that little bit of duplication, rather than trying to jump into the wrong abstraction, is going to pay off dividends in the long run, where we can go back and say, ah, now that we have enough of this being done, I see it. I can see what we should have done. Now we can go back, make the refactor, things will get better. But if we reach for the wrong abstraction prematurely, we potentially have more refactoring to do to get rid of it. So- Where we are in the redesign, I feel like we are afforded a little bit of doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough. Mm -hmm. But even that, what is good enough can change from dev to dev. Obviously, I'll hold our seniors to a little bit of a higher level than I will someone who's like, yeah, this is my second job. I'm on year two of writing code. They're going to get away with slightly more, hey, this is fine to merge, but let's pair on this for the next ticket, right, to get the PR in. When we get to the refactoring step, we'll pair on it and we'll kind of look at your approach and discuss what things we can do to improve it. Whereas with a senior, I might just kick it back and be like, hey, this is not good enough.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I see where you're coming from. What I ended up telling them is, does this solve the business use case? And did you make this area of the code any worse to maintain? But you're right, though, Drew, like you're working on a refactor you're being given the gift of not a clean slate. I've been at companies where they've rebooted the app and that's an affordance that you only get once in a lifetime. Normally you're just adjusting the legacy application. And so it's tough with the redesign because you want to get it done. You don't want to be that person who estimated three months for a redesign and now you're a year in and you're still not done. But you don't want to blow the chance that you have generated a new file and can I get it right here? But you can only get it right based on the context that you currently have.
0: Absolutely. And there's enough of the redesign that is completely new and enough of it that is reusing old existing code that not everything is fresh and new and sparkly. So sometimes it's like, wow, this feels dirty. And it's like, well, yeah, because we don't have three months to rewrite this whole bit of the back end stuff. So it's just kind of what we have to do right now. It's like, ah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's get version one out and then we'll work on version two. We are extremely fortunate that the folks at Within3 who do the product roadmap have always been really good about building in refactoring time to projects, at large projects after the fact, kind of understanding that we'll do a good job while we're building it, but After the fact, there's like cleanup to do, right? There's a little bit of duplication. Some of the styles get mixed and matched and can be consolidated. And in this case, like we're going to identify areas that are not great for future versions that really slowed us down. And we don't want to deal with that again. So we do have some refactoring time built in at the end after the launch to go back and kind of clean up the campsite.
1: Agreed. Well, Drew, thank you so much for coming back onto the show. I am so, so excited to see you next week at Rails SAS. Yeah. I'm gonna publicly say this right now. I'm gonna give you a big hug and I'm gonna to try to pick you up off the ground. So listeners, I'll let you know if I was successful. And I also you do yourself. <laughs> I got this. I got this. This is a challenge. And I also wanted to note to all the listeners, our wonderful editor Paul just joined Twitter. So I am linking up Paul's Twitter into the show notes. I would love for him to get as many followers as possible because he's wonderful and he makes the show sound so good. So we appreciate you, Paul, and welcome to Sweater.
0: I definitely appreciate you too, Paul. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.